Family physicians have been the main medical caregivers for the sick and infirm for over a century. But over the last decade, the number of family physicians is dwindling. And in many areas of the United States, there are no such physicians in this specialty at all. On top of that, less medical students are choosing to go into this field of family practice. So what's going on? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Dogramji, and with us this morning is Dr. Russell Breisch. Russell is the Associate Director of the Residency Program at Chestnut Hill Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Great to have you. Well, Russ, let's get right to it. Are family physicians a dying breed? Is family practice on its way out? Not a bit. Right now, there are over 65,000 active members in the American Academy of Family Physicians. They're doing practice all over the country in urban and rural and suburban areas. In a lot of parts of the country, the family doctors are the only doctors in a lot of physician shortage areas, counties that don't have a lot of doctors. It's usually the family physicians that are there doing the work that needs to be done taking care of people. Have things changed, though, in the last five, ten years or so with what family doctors used to do to what they are doing now? We're seeing a bit of a shift, certainly as hospitalists, people just taking care of people in the hospital have become more popular. You're seeing less family doctors working in an office and taking care of their own patients in the hospital when that opportunity is available to them. Why does that happen, Russell? Why is it that physicians in family practice used to do the whole thing, from nuts to bolts, as we used to say, but now they're not going into the hospital, they're not even doing pediatrics in some cases? Why is that trend happening? A lot of it has to do with payment, that you need to be seeing a predictable number of patients in the office or in the hospital in order to make a living, that if this week you only have two people in the hospital, but you've got three hours scheduled to do it, you lose money. And the margins that family doctors have had to deal with, with increasing costs, decreasing payment from insurances and Medicare, et cetera, it just isn't cost effective. What a lot of folks have to do is concentrate on one specific area. We're seeing family doctors being hospitalists, but then that's all they do. The squeeze from different directions is what's caused folks to cone down what they do. So economics has a lot to do with what's going on. But there is one other trend, Russell, and that's this. About a half the medical students these days that are going into family practice, there are women, and about 20-some years ago, only about 10%. Has this done anything to the fate of family practice? I don't think so. I think that there are differences in terms of the fact that women are the folks who have babies, and you see an adjustment in how practices deal with their docs It used to be that if you wanted to take a week off, it was sometimes a big deal. The norm now is, you know, the docs who are working there are going to have families. They're going to raise children. It has changed a little bit in the way we approach things. I think for the better, I think it's emphasized that people have a life and a family. So I think that you see less people who are, you know, dinosaurs like you and I who are willing to work the 60, 70 hours a week. But I think that's a good thing. Russell, in a lot of family practice buildings and in a lot of practice offices, there is physician assistants and nurse practitioners. How has that changed the way that family practitioners practice the art of medicine? What I've seen is that the physician can then concentrate on the more complicated patients. As medical science has changed over the last 30 years, it used to be that when somebody had type 2 diabetes, you gave them lots of insulin, you held their hand, and they got very sick. With the advances that have been made in the treatment of a lot of medical conditions, 
it requires a very complex care system to take care of those complicated patients. What I'm seeing is the physicians are doing more of that very complex stuff, and they utilize the nurse practitioner or physician assistant sometimes to help with that, but sometimes to help with the urgent care that happens in between the management of the chronic medical problems. But doesn't that somehow or other at times elbow out some of the things that a family practice physician may want to see and then make it a little bit more rigorous and drudgery to see the very difficult patients who take a lot of time? It sure can. And it's really up to the physicians and the office to set up a plan by which the patients get the care they need, because that's really the key. And for the docs and the nurses and the physician's assistants, to figure out what's going to work best for them. Russ, what do you see in the quality of the medical students coming to become residents in your program these days? We're seeing great folks coming out. We're seeing more international grads than we used to. And so the screening of those folks is a bit more complex. You have to make sure of the quality of the folks who are coming from offshore schools. But the quality of folks who are coming both from U.S. medical schools and offshore schools continues to be very high, and the folks that are graduating are out of residencies, are ready to go out there and do the work. And they're getting good jobs. There's a big demand. Is there any trend in where these physicians eventually end up, what part of the country or outside of this country? The biggest area of need is the rural areas. And so folks have no difficulty going to rural areas, and a lot of the folks are starting to go in that direction. But No, you see it in the areas where the population is growing rapidly, you know, the South and the West. You're seeing folks go in those directions because the jobs seem to be there. And you're seeing people go to places where the payment is better. I'm in the state of Pennsylvania, and the medical assistance pays about 42% of what Medicare pays for the same kind of visit. Go to North Carolina, you get 100% of what Medicare pays. Again, uh, economics, economics dictates, is a huge driver. dictates medicine. You're listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Paul DeGromji, and with me today is Dr. Russell Breisch, a director of residency program at Chestnut Hill in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Russ, you're kind of giving me a good impression of source for family physicians. I'm feeling a little bit better now than I did before the show started, but let me hone in a little bit more about finance and insurance companies and HMOs. What kind of an impact have they had in what they do in grasping us and in twisting us? What have they done to us in the practice of family medicine? There's two big issues. One, at the top of the list is payment, the willingness to pay a whole lot for a fairly short, quick procedure and not pay a whole lot for the disease management we referred to earlier, that both insurance and the Medicare system, which often drives a lot of insurance payment, fee schedules, doesn't seem to value the cognitive skills, the intellectual exercises that we have to do to provide our care for our patients. So, Russ, they're actually taking time away from us in spending that quality visit, that quality time with our patients? And it's more than that. They also provide us with a lot of unfunded mandates. So, the prior authorizations for medications, more and more each year we have to do that. And They change people into different plans for their medicines. So every January, it seems like you're getting, you know, dozens of requests to prior authorize a medicine that was already done, to prior authorize radiologic studies. And nobody pays us for that. The patients can't afford it. 
the insurance companies refuse. And so you're either on the phone with the insurance company or you're seeing a patient. You can't do both. Ross, you're kind of giving me the sort of positive impression that these roadblocks, these stumbling blocks, don't actually alter either who's going into family practice or what quality physicians are going into family practice. But this annoyance that you're talking about, what can we do about it? What can we make family practice a little bit more enjoyable and also better quality for our patients and the time that we spend with them? And I think that, and if you came away with that impression, I apologize, there is an economic driver of what people are going into. People can leave certain residencies and make three times what a family doctor is going to make. So I think that the insurance companies and the government who provides a lot of the payment to physicians needs to dramatically adjust what they pay to the person providing primary care to the patients. I think that if people can get paid for what they do at a reasonable rate, it'll provide the satisfaction that we need in order to be able to take care of those patients. Who determines what's reasonable? It's a great question. The problem is that there's only one pie and everybody wants their piece of it. And so the heart surgeons don't want to see a cut in how much they get to do a bypass or put in a defibrillator. And the family doctors, you know, want and need a bit more in terms of what they do. It ends up becoming a political struggle. It ends up becoming a regulatory struggle. And unfortunately, what has happened is it's pit different sides of the house of medicine against each other. And that's very frustrating. It makes us all a little crazy. Now, as far as the rising cost of medicine, we are now also seeing a rise of cost for patients to go to their family doctors. Co-pays are now sometimes 20 30 or even $40. Has this given a disincentive for patients to actually go to their family doctors? Absolutely. I am asked to do a lot of telephone consultation with my patients, and when I suggest to them that they need to come in to see me to go over this in a more consistent fashion, in a more complete fashion, they can't. They don't want to do it. They can't do it. It's a big deal. And so we're asked to try our best in talking with people on the phone, and it sometimes leads us to not be able to provide the care we need, and it leaves our patients frustrated. They feel like they're in the middle, and the insurers have put our patients in the middle between us and the insurance companies. It's a real frustration. Russ, there's a growing trend in certain parts of the country for this internet and video doctor consultations. What do you think of that? I think those kinds of innovative ideas could be very interesting. And to be able to provide some of the care that we do in that fashion could be very reasonable. Especially, Russ, if they could be reimbursed in some way? Oh, absolutely. You can't, in any profession, in any job, You can't ask people to do things for free. It's just not reasonable. If you're getting paid a reasonable amount of money to provide the care, people will find creative ways to do that. If you can summarize, Russ, what's been the biggest trend, positive-wise, in family practice in the last 20 years, what would you say? I think that what I've seen is the advancements in medical science that have worked their way down to our level, what you would think of as evidence-based care, so that We now have an understanding that if we use a cholesterol-lowering drug on a patient with diabetes or a patient with heart disease, we have data to back up the fact that we know what we're doing. In the past, there was always this sort of, well, we think this treatment is probably a good idea, that the science, the research that is now looking at patient-directed outcomes, whether they live longer or not, as opposed to 
we fix this number and we hope it makes the patient feel better. As that information is filtered down to us, it gives me a whole lot more satisfaction to know that I'm actually doing something for my patient that's helpful. Well, I'm going to take away from this talk, Russ, that there are good things happening in family practice, that our faith is not doom and gloom, and that we certainly have a good place in helping patients for better health care. Well, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Russell Breisch, Director of Family Practice at Chestnut Hill Hospital in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You've been listening to the Business Medicine on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.